two weeks ago, we, we looked at the amazing work Jesus has done to create peace and unity between believers. You know, Jesus has removed the sources of, of division and conflict between Christians. He's, he's unified us by reconciling us to God. He's given us an unlimited access to the source of unity and peace, his presence in the Holy Spirit. Sin divides and causes enmity. But Jesus in the gospel has saved us from that. He's made us part of a new humanity that's united in him. And this week's Bible passage focuses on what it means for believers to be part of God's new humanity. And the role this new humanity, you and me, that we have in God's salvation plan for the world. So we're going to read the Bible together, Ephesians 2, starting from verse 14. Just follow along as I read for us. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." Have you, ever, have you ever found yourself in the middle of a natural disaster? I think we can, we can all say yes because of COVID. <laughs> but, but perhaps not when it comes to environmental disasters, like earthquakes, hurricanes, flash floods, perhaps typhoons in Hong Kong. There's been you know, so many devastating environmental disasters that have hit the world over the past year. No, in Afghanistan, Philippines, Caribbean, Turkey, Indonesia, to name a few. Now, now I haven't personally been part of like a very large-scale disaster. But about eight years ago, an unprecedented ice storm hit Toronto. Right? That's, that's where I lived at the time. So, so everything was, was covered in ice. You know, power was out for a few days in parts of the city. The ice was so heavy that trees and power lines broke under the weight. And the streets were filled with car accidents. Like, you just couldn't move because there were so many car accidents everywhere. Uh, it, it was horrible. No, no, no one could go anywhere. Now, now, in the middle of this disaster that I was in, what shone as a light was actually seeing people band together to help each other. So whether this was, you know, uh, helping to clear the roads, uh, sharing gas, like portable gas for heat, 
or offering their homes to people whose homes had run out of electricity. You know, people banding together to respond in a crisis is, is such a powerful picture. You know, in the midst of all the damage and chaos, it's, it's amazing to see people working together to rescue others. That they wait out, they wait out into deep water, they walk through rubble searching for people to rescue. One of the main strategies for rescue teams is, you know, forming human chains. So they link arms. There's, a, there's like a specific way to do it. And it's amazing what people can do when they're united together in this way. You'll, you'll see chains of 30 people, 50 people, even 80 people that all joined up and they're you know, trying to reach somebody who fell off a cliff or they're trying to reach out to somebody who's, you know, caught up in water, stranded alone. I want us just to think about this idea of, of being a human chain, being linked together with one another. Because the church is God's spiritual rescue chain. You know, God's plan of rescue for the world is to join believers together to be his temple. It's only when Christians are joined together in this way that they can fully carry out God's rescue plan. So the main point for this morning is that growing love and unity as a church is essential to God's salvation plan. Growing love and unity as a church is essential to God's salvation plan. Let me explain this from the book of Ephesians. You know, we've been in chapter 2 for more than a month now. It begins with the terrible problem of sin that every human has. We were dead in our sin, wholly wicked in nature, enslaved by Satan, deserving God's punishment, enemies of God and with one another. But God rescued us from all of those horrible things. He made us alive with Jesus, recreated us for good, freed us from Satan's power, saved us from punishment, reconciled us to himself as our father, and brought unity and peace between his people. But that's not all that God has done. He has come and he's made his home with us, with you and me. You know, verse 21 to 22 tells us the church is the dwelling place of God. Think about how amazing that is. You know, when you go looking for a place to live, what are some things that you look for? You know, generally, the size, the location, how old or new it is the quality of the place. You're, you're, you're looking for something that's going to fit you, fit your needs, fit your personality, fit your lifestyle. What kind of things would suit God's house? He's holy. He's perfect. He's radiant. He's glorious. Things worthy of God's house, they are out of this world. They are heavenly Certainly not sinful people like you and me who have rebelled against him. But this is exactly who God chooses to be his dwelling place, to be his temple, to be his house. He doesn't choose people who are worthy of him. 
He makes unworthy people worthy of him through Jesus. Believers have the awesome privilege of being God's dwelling place for all eternity, starting the moment that we came to faith. But guess what? God's grace goes even farther and deeper than this. God doesn't only make believers part of his dwelling place, he brings his saving presence to the world through us. He brings peace in a world of conflict through his people. He calls sinners to have peace with him through faith in Jesus. And as people are reconciled with God, they find peace with one another. They're united together to become part of God's temple on earth. And as God's temple grows, his presence can reach more and more people, just like joining more and more people to that spiritual rescue chain. This is the big picture of God's salvation plan for his church that he wants us to see in Ephesians. In chapter 1, God tells us this big picture plan. Chapter 1, verse 10, he's uniting all things in heaven and on earth in Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 22, God's going to do this by making Jesus, he's the head of the church, and the church, Jesus' body, is going to fill everything. In chapter 2, God gives us a detailed execution plan. He's going to save sinners, make them part of his temple, and dwell in them. And in chapter 3, which we're, which we're getting to, God tells us in verse 10 that it's through his church that he's making his wisdom known to the ruler and authorities in heaven. Now God is saying, I'm going to show how amazing I am by using groups of weak people to overcome the work of evil forces in the world. The church is like God's spiritual rescue chain for the world. He joins believers together with Jesus. He joins believers together with each other so that we can bring Jesus to those who need it. That's the overall picture of the church we see in Ephesians. And the passage today, from verses 18 to 22, you can look at that, it focuses on a really important aspect, and that's the importance of unity between believers. So let me, let me break it down for us. Verse 18, believers' unity comes from common access to God's presence through the Holy Spirit. Because we can go to God together, we're unified through the Spirit. Verse 19 tells us, how access to God's presence unifies us. We're unified in a new faith identity as fellow citizens and members of God's household. Verse 20 tells the foundation or basis for unity between believers. That's the work and teachings of Jesus. I'll, I'll elaborate later. Verses 21 to 22 tells us three more important things. God is actively unifying his church. We are being joined or being fitted together. We're also being built together. So believers have unity, but this unity is still a work in progress. It's something that's being done to us. It's something that's ongoing. We're also told that growing to be God's temple requires the work of unity. 
So if you look at verse 21, growing into a holy temple happens as a result of being joined together. Lastly, we're told that God's plan is to dwell in a unified people. Verse 22, being built together is what results in being God's dwelling place. So God has a plan to dwell in us as his people, but this plan is still in progress. It's something that's being done to us. And this being is being joined together, built together. Unity is how believers grow to be a suitable place for God to live. Unity is how believers grow to bring God's saving presence to people. So the key phrase in this passage, if you haven't gotten it, is being joined together, being built together. Growing love and unity as a church is essential to God's salvation plan. Now this brings up a couple of questions. First, what does love and unity actually mean? Is it simply being friendly and agreeable with each other, or is it something more? Second, how can believers grow in love and unity as a church? Do we just try our best not to cause conflict, to keep quiet unless something's really wrong? Verses 19 to 20 tells us the kind of love and unity God is building and where it comes from. In the temple that God is building, believers are united in their relationship as fellow citizens and family members of God's house. The unity comes from what Jesus has done at the cross and growing knowledge of how to apply that to our lives, how to live it out. So let me simplify this into four points for us to consider. Growing love and unity as a church comes by embracing God's purpose for his church, making heavenly citizenship your primary status, making God's family your own, and a deeper understanding of Jesus' work and teaching. So let me start with the first point as we think about love and unity, and that's embracing God's purpose for his church. You know, right beside us is a fire station. I want us to think, when there are fo- no fires to put out, what do firefighters do? You know, are, they, are they sitting around, watching TV, playing mahjong, waiting for a fire to happen? Uh, we hope not, right? <laughs> no, they're spending their time training. That's what they're doing. You know, there's a firewall for them to practice at right beside us. The firefighters train every day. It's part of their work. In their training, they practice responding to different situations they could, that could come up. You know, people trapped in balconies that need to be rescued, communication in dark areas where there's no, no sight. And after each session, they review how well they worked together to complete the mission how well the coordination was, were there any delays in getting the equipment out, was there any miscommunication? Unity is a matter of life and death for firefighters. They make it a priority and goal so that they can save lives. When believers really embrace God's plan for his church, unity and love become an urgent priority, not an option. It's not something that's just nice to have. It's so important that even though it's difficult and challenging, you're willing to fight for it. But embracing God's purpose is hard. 
because it means admitting that you can't do it on your own. Christians tend to think about God's plan for them very individualistically. We say things like, God has called me to start a workplace fellowship, start a ministry for a poor, uh, run a Christian business, compose Christian music, be a Christ-like boss. And these are all good things that God calls individual Christians to do, but it's only part of God's bigger salvation plan, a plan where the world encounters Jesus through his church. Without being joined together with other believers, individual believers can actually do all that God has called us to do. See, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, tells us each believer is God's workmanship created by his grace. The word workmanship is used to describe a master craftsman who specifically and intentionally creates something precious and, uni- and unique. God has uniquely saved believers in our own unique situations. That's me, that's you, that's everyone here individually. He's gifted and called us to show who he is to the world in different ways. But that's not the end of God's craftsmanship in our lives. Look at chapter 2, verse 22. God tells us his unique work in individuals is meant to fit us together to be a unified whole. Like, Like different colored tiles placed in a mosaic to create a picture or pieces of a puzzle where you know, each believer is uniquely crafted for a specific place in God's temple. It's only by being joined together with the whole that we can fully function as individual believers. Your relationship to a church is essential for you to be an effective witness at work. The unity and relationships you have with believers are needed to help bring people in your life to Jesus. When believers realize we can't show who Jesus is to the world by ourselves, it causes us to really depend and rely on each other. But more importantly, God's desire. God's desire is to dwell with a whole community of people. He wants to rule over a unified nation. He wants people of all background to live as part of his one family. And when we, when believers, understand that God's heart, he longs to dwell, God's heart yearns to dwell with his new united people, it makes us want to work towards this goal because we love God and we want to please him. Now, believers are privileged to be part of something so amazing. God dwells in us. God fills the world with his presence through us. But it's only when we are united that God works out this salvation plan. So so on a practical level, this means that believers should never, ever, ever give up on church, no matter how hard it gets or how pointless it feels. Because God has not given up building his church He is always working to unite believers together. Even if all of us here didn't want to be unified, God's still working for our unity. That's his plan for saving the world. There's no plan B. So when believers say, I give up on church, they're actually saying, God, we give up on you. 
we give up on your plan to save the world. But the good news is, it's not us. God's working for our unity. He's unifying us. He's working for us to see what an amazing privilege it is to be together. He's giving us this desire to display the beauty of Jesus when we're together. He's leading us to allow him to do his work in us. So church love and unity grows by embracing God's purpose for the church. Second, church love and unity grows by making kingdom citizenship your primary status. Citizenship is an important matter, and this is especially true in Hong Kong. You know, the passport or passports you hold or don't hold play a crucial factor in how people in the city relate to you. It's true. And the matter of citizenship really hits close to home for us in different ways. EEC has the privilege to serve the refugee community. They have no citizenship rights in Hong Kong. How they view the city is vastly different than a local or an expat. No, Hong Kong is not a safe place for them. They're scared of law enforcement. They don't have any assurance of receiving protection, provision, and security from the government. They're counted as outsiders who don't belong. Now, those of us who hold one or more citizenships are, are always asking, which one will offer me the most benefit and security in the long run? Should I change citizenship? The good news of the gospel is that believers have received citizenship in God's kingdom. And this citizenship is the best one to have because kingdom citizens receive eternal security and provision. They receive eternal blessings and privileges. You know, blessings like redemption, forgiveness, the presence of the Holy Spirit, new life, victory over evil, eternal life. And that's true no matter what citizenship you have on earth. We have you know, a powerful, perfect, wise, good king who rules over us, Jesus Christ. We share a common history and heritage with God's people who live by faith starting with Abraham. We belong to the same country, the new heavens and earth, with its new capital city, the new Jerusalem. As kingdom citizens, believers receive a whole new identity that unites us together with a whole new people. Verse 19 says, we are fellow citizens with God's people, the saints. Embracing kingdom identity as your real identity unifies you with other believers. Growing understanding of your kingdom identity unifies but this is a lot easier said than done. Because it's, it's completely possible to live and have citizenship in a country, but be completely disconnected from the people you're supposed to be a part of. So my grandma, she spent more than half of her life living in Canada as a Canadian citizenship, citizenship, but she never made any connections to the country or the people. She spent her time watching Hong Kong TV, reading the Chinese newspaper, living in Chinatown, socializing with other Chinese friends and relatives, she would go to me when someone came to the door and go, oh, God, and well, like, help me like, answer the door. Like, foreigner, help me like, get the door. And I'm like, Grandma, these are our neighbors. 
You've been with them for like so long. They're not foreigners. See, on the surface, my grandma was, was Canadian. She had the citizenship status, but she never embraced her new identity. In her heart, she held on to her past identity. Because at its core, citizenship is a question of identity. Believers have been made kingdom citizens, but many times we place more importance on our earthly identities than our heavenly one. And this is a root cause of division in churches because we see each other by the passports we hold or don't hold, by how closely rooted to the city we are in different ways. It's only through embracing our heavenly citizenship that we can find unity in our new common identity. And this isn't easy because it does mean, to some extent, giving up what has made you, you, for so many years. Whether that's a local born and raised in Hong Kong, an overseas Chinese, or an expat from a different country and culture. This doesn't mean that we you know, abandon everything about our culture that we grew up in when we become Christians, but it does mean that we allow our heavenly citizenship to determine who we truly are and where we truly call home. In the kingdom of heaven, there will be people of all ethnicities, but they will all be citizens of one nation ruled by Jesus. Where do you truly call home? What things determine your identity? What parts of your earthly citizenship keep you from fully embracing your heavenly one? For those of you struggling with this question, and I know many of us are in different ways, consider this. Our earthly identities, our earthly citizenships, they're never sure and secure. Political situations are always changing for better or for worse. The culture you grew up in will change as time goes by, and it can leave us feeling like we don't belong in the place we grew up anymore. But faith in Jesus offers a secure and unchanging identity for eternity. And the sooner we embrace our new identity, the sooner we can enjoy and live in the blessings that it offers by being united with other believers. You know, a few years ago, before COVID, Evelyn and I you know, were traveling around uh, Taiwan, and we would stay in hostels. So hostels are places, you know, cheap hotels where travelers go. That, that's a way to put it. And you see, we meet people from all over the world. And what's really, really amazing is that when you meet somebody from the same country as you, it's like instantly you have this connection. Like, you're Canadian? I'm Canadian. Wow. Hey, all these things about Canadians. And, you know, when we embrace our, our kingdom identity, when we meet a believer with that same identity, it unites us together automatically. That's the way it should be with brothers and sisters around the world. So God has united believers as fellow citizens. God, church love and unity grows by making this status your primary status. But believers are not just fellow citizens. Verse 19 also tells us that we are members of God's household. So the second way God is building his temple is through family relationship. So this means that our love grows 
as we make God's family our own. We need to make God's family our own. That's our third point. See, right before I decided to ask Evelyn to marry me, my pastor at the time told me, remember, you're not just marrying a person, you're deciding to marry her family. <laughs> a best piece of marriage advice I ever got. <laughs> You know, through faith, God has adopted believers into his family. He's our father. Jesus is our elder brother. But by saying yes to God and Jesus, we're also saying yes to the rest of his family. That's our brothers and sisters here together. Family is who we are. Jesus unites us together in this family. And that's one of our values, right? Love for God's diverse family. And it's one of our values as a church because this is the kind of love that God calls believers to have for each other. But the question is, how do we treat each other as family? Do we treat each other as family? Because being family is more than being nice or friendly to each other. It's more than working well together. It's even more than caring for each other. You know, these are parts of a good family relationship, to be sure. But the core, the core of being family is a certain type of commitment and relationship to each other. A commitment that reflects God the Father's commitment for his children. Now, as the head of our family, God the Father has made an eternal commitment to always fight for the good of his children. God's love towards each of you is permanent and long-lasting. He doesn't give up on you when you break his trust and hurt him by sinning. He never threatens to disown us. Instead, God graciously and patiently calls us back into right relationship with him through repentance and faith. And in the same way, God calls his children, you and me, to strive to have that same type of love for each other in the church. The relationships we have are to reflect God's faithfulness to us. Relationships where we don't have to fear that we'll be abandoned by each other because of our failures and imperfections. Relationships not where sin is excused, but where all of us feel safe and open to share our sin, allow others to confront us when we're wrong. Relationships in God's family means that we don't give up on one another no matter how difficult things get. A pastor, friend of mine and his wife, um, they've made it a rule never to bring up separation or divorce no matter how angry or frustrated they get with one another in an argument or at a situation because that's not the solution that God wants for the relationship. Now, while there are many God-honoring reasons to transfer to another church, this is the similar type of attitude and approach that we need to have in our relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in God's family. So we need to make God's family our own. And there's a very practical aspect to this. Uh, you know, one that we've been talking about for the past year is, is membership. Right? Just making clear the commitment that you want to make to other believers. I want to be family with you. You can also ask yourself, you know, do I have close enough relationships with believers at a church where they can encourage my faith and I can encourage theirs? What kind of action do I need to take from where I am right now to, to develop family-like relationships with my church community? 
You know, gathering together for worship on Sunday mornings, it's important and it's good. We should be doing it. It reflects the reality that we are God's holy temple. But we're a temple that's connected and grows through love for each other as a spiritual family. Our worship to God and our relationships with one another are connected. The power and presence of God in our worship on Sundays reflects how we have been doing at living together as family Monday to Saturday. Whether that's through something structured like a small group or casual, something more casual like showing hospitality to another brother and sister or family or how about having a meal together outside of, of a house, whatever it is, so many different ways to go about it. But it starts with your commitment, your desire to make God's family your own and to act on it. The last point for this morning is that church love and unity grows through deeper understanding of Jesus' work and teaching. So there's this building analogy that's going on. Now verse 20 tells us that our church relationships as citizens and family, it comes out of the work and teaching of Jesus. Let me explain this. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. You think about it, right? Christ alone, cornerstone. Uh, Let me explain what a cornerstone is. The cornerstone was the most important stone for buildings in ancient times. It was the central part of a building's foundation. And these cornerstones were huge, like larger than most of our flats, okay? So one of the largest cornerstones discovered, 55 feet long, 11 feet high, 14 feet wide, weighed 570 tons. So that's about 800 square feet of space, right? Bigger than most of our our flats. And it was really important how this cornerstone was placed because all other stones would be built to line up with it exactly to a T. Jesus is the cornerstone. His work on the cross forms the basis for our relationships in the church. Only those who have trusted in Jesus for salvation are unified by being added on to this human temple where Jesus is the cornerstone. What unites believers is that we have all received grace by faith. We've been saved from having to try to save ourselves. That grace unifies us on this foundation, this cornerstone. And there's a couple of implications to this truth. You know, first, our relationship with other believers depend on how in line our life is with the gospel. Are you living a life of repentance and faith in Jesus? If not, that, then you've strayed away from this foundation. You know, you're supposed to be part of this foundation, but you're not, you're not sticking to it anymore. So when we're not doing well with God, we don't really want to go to church. There's a reason why. We need to be brought back to that cornerstone. This means that we don't have any basis of unity with the rest of the church unless we are living in repentance and faith. The second implication is that our love and unity with believers grows as we grow in understanding Jesus' work and teaching. And this is what verse 20 means when it says believers are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus taught a lot of things on how to follow him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But that's not everything that he taught. He couldn't teach everything, so he entrusted and gave authority to his apostles to teach the rest of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the teaching of the apostles and prophets is what makes up the New Testament. And these teachings help believers understand more deeply 
what Jesus' sacrifice has done for them and what it means for our lives. And as we grow in understanding these teachings, both in our hearts and in our minds, the unity we have with one another grows. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4.4, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. Truth unites, and as believers grow in our understanding of the truth, our unity deepens. Now the difficult part of this is that we're all works in progress, so that we don't fully understand the truth. Until the day we die and see Jesus, we won't know the truth 100%. And that's true for all of us. But that being said, the good news is through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can always grow in our understanding of the truth. And as we're growing, our unity continues to grow and grow and grow. You know, studying the Bible, reading it, is something that Christians know they should do. It's, it's so common that unbelievers know that we should be studying the Bible, so when they see us not reading the Bible, they'll be like, are you really Christian? Are you reading the Bible, right? Now, we're always reminded to do it, but I think sometimes we actually lose the bigger picture of why this is so important. Let me trace it out for you. Growing love and unity is essential for God's salvation plan. You know, the only way for people to come to know the saving grace of God is through believers who are united together. And the crucial way for this unity to happen is for us, for each of you, to grow in our understanding of truth, of the Bible. So your diligence as an individual believer to take time to first study the Bible, then to understand it more by discussing it with other believers, hearing it being taught, reading it in a book with other trusted teachers, plays an important part to the unity that's so important for the salvation of the world. Our love and unity is so essential. We need to embrace God's purpose for us. We need to make kingdom citizenship our primary status. We need to make God's family our own. We need to deepen our understanding of Jesus' work and teaching. Now, unity is hard work. It's a lot of effort. Most of the time, we don't feel like it. We don't feel like attending small group after a long day at work. We don't feel like waking up early to a Sunday morning worship. You know, it's easier to stay at home and, and stream online. You know, we don't want to take the time to get to know believers that are different from us. And many times, going to church is just really boring. <laughs> But it's in these moments that we need to think about God's picture of salvation and his plan. Because all of these seemingly unimportant things, difficult things, it's part of God's cosmic plan of salvation for the world. And all of our efforts to become unified is a part of that. And that's such a privilege. And when it gets difficult to the point where we feel like we can't do it anymore, we need to remind ourselves God's the one that is at work. He's joining us together. He's the one that desires to dwell in us more than we <laughs> want to dwell with him. We can trust God is going to make it happen. We just need to allow him, to allow our hearts to be changed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we come to you and, and we're so humbled. We're just so aware of our own weaknesses in living in unity, of the frustrations we have toward one another, towards uh, you know, your church in different ways. Uh, thank you that you're so patient with us when we're not patient with one another. When we're not patient with ourselves. Would you help us, Lord, to have your heart more and more so that we can display that patience to each other. 
Yeah, would you help us to see how this message this morning applies so concretely to our lives? Would your Holy Spirit reveal you know, those action steps that we need to take? And would we be able to take them because we know that you're the one who's empowering us to do it, God? And we pray that as we seek to be more unified, we would see more of your love in this place when we walk into the sanctuary. That believers, God, who, who come and talk to us would see such a supernatural love that would cause them to want to know this Jesus whom we profess to serve and worship. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.